I'll invite you to open your Bible with me to the book of Judges, chapter 16. Judges, chapter 16. If you remember last time in chapter 15, uh, chapter 15 was a very, uh, very good chapter. It ended on a high note. Uh, Samson had defeated the Philistines at Lehi. And in chapter 15, for the first time, we hear of Samson calling on the name of the Lord. Uh, chapter 15 is the beginning of Samson's judgeship, his 20 years of ruling in, uh, in Israel. Uh, he, seems like Samson, he seems like he's finally sort of woken up to his calling, his purpose in life. Uh, and now we come to chapter 16, 20 years later, uh, a story of great tragedy, and yet a story of God's grace as well. We're going to be reading the first 22 verses of Judges chapter 16. Let's give our attention to God's Word. Samson went to Gaza, and there he saw a prostitute, and he went into her. The Gazites were told, Samson has come here. And they surrounded the place and set an ambush for him all night at the gate of the city. They kept quiet all night, saying, let us wait till the light of morning, then we will kill him. But Samson lay till midnight, and at midnight he arose and took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts, and pulled them up, bar and all, and put them on his shoulders, and carried them to the top of the hill that is in front of Hebron. After this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Seduce him and see where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him. And we will give, each give you uh, 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound that one could subdue you. Samson said to her, if they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not yet been dried, then I shall become weak and like any other man. Then the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she bound him with them. And now she had men lying in ambush in an inner chamber. And she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the bowstrings as the thread of flax snaps when it touches the fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. Then Delilah said to Samson, Behold, you have mocked me and told me lies. Please tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, If they bind me with new robes that have not been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So Delilah took new robes and bound him with them and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And the men lying in ambush were in the inner chamber. But he snapped the ropes of his arms like a thread. Then Delilah said to Samson, Until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, If you weave the seven locks of my head with the web and fasten it tight with the pin, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So while he slept, Delilah took seven locks of his head and wove them into the web. And she made them tight with the pin and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep and pulled away the pin, the loom, and the web. And she said to him, how can you say, I love you, when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times, and you have not told me where your great strength lies. And when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. And he told her all his heart and said to her, a razor has never come upon my head, for I've been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. 
When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up again, for he has told me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. She made him sleep on her knees, and she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles. And he ground the mill in the prison, but the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Let's ask the Lord to bless his word. Father, now as we come to this text, a, a tragic text, and yet, Lord, a text full of grace and truth, pray that you give us eyes to see it, and hearts, Lord, to receive this good news that you are a God who completes the work that he has begun and carries out his saving purposes, and all for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, tonight we come to probably the most well-known portion of uh, the story of Samson's life, Samson and Delilah. Um, many people in the world will not know much about their Bible, but they may know about, um, about this story. It's, it's uh, one of the great classic, tragic love stories like Antony and, and Cleopatra or Romeo and Juliet. Uh, it's, often usually, it's often portrayed in the church as a moral tale, a warning against the danger of making friends with the world. Uh, and it is, of course, about that, but we're going to see it's about much, much more. Um, the story of chapter 16 begins and ends in Gaza, one of the capital cities of the Philistines. Uh, both stories involve Samson's weakness for the Philistine women, uh, first an unnamed prostitute and then Delilah. And um, the story begins with Samson, of course, removing the gates of the city of Gaza, leaving it defenseless and helpless. Uh, the story ends with the Philistines removing the eyes of Samson, leaving him defenseless and helpless. But fundamentally, this is a story of God's grace, God's unfailing purposes. Let's just go right to the story of, uh, of Samson as we're told it in chapter 16. We're first told about Samson uh, going to Gaza, and there he saw a prostitute and went into her. The, 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 the narrator doesn't tell us why he went there. It doesn't seem like he went there looking for a prostitute in the same way that he didn't go to Timnah looking for a wife. Uh, Samson is a man who is led by uh, impulsive desires. Uh, he gets into trouble with what, he, what his eyes sees, not by things that his mind plans. Uh, planning doesn't seem to be one of his strengths. He goes to Gaza for whatever reason, and we're told there that he saw a prostitute. We've seen this before. He, what he sees, uh, that's what he latches onto. And undoubtedly, this woman was, looked good to his eyes, and he desired her, and he went into her. And that's, that's a pattern that we've seen in Samson's life. Of course, it's a pattern as old as Eden itself, where we see uh, Eve um, taking a walk. She wasn't setting out to sin, uh, but she saw the fruit, that it was good uh, for food and a delight to the eyes and, and good for making one wise. And so she took and she ate, and that's exactly what Samson does. He goes, he sees, he takes. And unfortunately, by this time, we're not surprised by this. 
This is um, a very wicked thing, and yet it runs true with what we've seen in Samson's life in the past. Samson has a weakness for Philistine women and a strong propensity uh, to, to uh, live by his de- desires, not by his calling. He's driven by his desires, not by his calling. And we're going to see that principally in the story of Delilah. Uh, the Philistines are, would most likely have been um, pleasantly surprised that Samson has allowed himself to be trapped in a capital uh, Philistine city, and so they immediately make plans to, uh, to capture him there. They surround the house, and they set up an ambush for him at the city gate, and, uh, and they're going to wait until the morning, and then they will put him to death. Samson um, realizes the plan, and we're told that at midnight he gets up and takes hold of the doors of the, city, of the gate of the city and the two posts and pulls it all up, bar and all, puts it on his shoulders and carries it to the top of the hill that is in front of Hebron. Now there's no record here of the, of the Spirit of the Lord rushing upon him as at other times, but it is undoubtedly true that that it has to be the case because this is a, a, um, it, it's a stunning display of strength. Archaeologists estimate that the gates and bars uh, and posts of the gate, the city gate, would be uh, easily four ton. So this would be like picking up an F-150 with with a thousand pounds of rocks in the back. And, uh, And that's not the most impressive part of the story. We're just told he carries it to the hill that was by Hebron. That's 40 miles away uphill the whole way. So if any of you guys think you're buff, <clears throat> all right, here's a standard for you. This is unbelievable. This is incredible. This has never been even conceived of, yet uh, much less accomplished. And that's what Samson does. And he, and he takes the city gates and he carries them uh, to Judah, to the Judish town of Hebron, and sets it there on top of the hill, plants it there as an audacious act of derision. To try to give you some sense of, of what this um, means, um, on November 26th, the University of Michigan football team traveled to Columbus, Ohio, the epicenter of the dark Buckeye kingdom. And, um, and they went there to battle their fiercest foes. And after trouncing the enemy 45 to 23, several of the conquering heroes uh, took the giant U of M flag and planted it in the middle of the O, in the middle of the football field, as an audacious gesture of triumph and derision. It was an act that was equally celebrated by Wolverine fans and loathed by all Buckeyes. I had uh, joy reading about it on um, Buckeye blogs after the game. Uh, That's exactly what Samson did. This is an intentional act of derision and triumph as he plants the gates on top, of the, on top of the hill for everyone to see. It was certainly loathed by the Philistines. Uh, but interestingly, we don't read of any celebrating by the people of Judah. Uh, we've seen this before, that the people of Judah seem to have made peace with their bondage. And uh, what should have been a rallying cry was met with silence. I, I like what Webb writes here. He says, this was not a rallying cry like Ehud's trumpet blast in chapter 327. For Samson has never been a leader of men. That's true. He never had, he never had a band like David's mighty, uh, mighty warriors, or he never led an army. Uh, he will fight the Philistines alone in his own way and beat them. 
The people of Hebron stare at him across the valley with a mixture of awe and dread. There will never be peace with the Philistines while this man lives. That's true. Samson fights alone and in his own way and, and by the power of God wins. And that's the story of Samson and the prostitute. But it, it's really told to introduce us to the, the greater tragedy. And that's the story of Samson and Delilah. In, in, the, in the story of Samson and Delilah, we have something new we haven't seen before. We have uh, the, the, new, the message that Samson has fallen in love. And, and undoubtedly, that's why we're told the woman's name. This is the third woman in Samson's life as the story is told. His, his wife from Timnah, the prostitute from Gaza, and now... Delilah, she has a name. And he doesn't just desire her, he loves her. And that love will prove to be his undoing. When the Philistines find out about Samson's relationship with Delilah, they, they bribe her, uh, they purchase her betrayal, and it's a large amount of money. Um, the commentators um, debate exactly the amount. It's, it's hard to tell, but, but one suggested it, it's in the range of 15 to 20 million dollars in today's um, money. It's a lot of money. And, uh, and she quickly agrees, thus um, revealing her true nature and her foundational allegiances. Um, whatever it is that Samson loves, Delilah um, loves the things of this world, and she loves the money. And, and, and so uh, the story of the betrayal that unfolds just in, by tragic step by tragic step. Delilah tr- proves to be very shrewd. At first, it seems like she's just brash when she says to him, uh, basically, tell me where your great strength lies so that um, we could bind you up and subdue you. That doesn't seem very subtle. And you might wonder, why would she do this? Well, again, Webb points out that actually it's genius. Because what Delilah is doing is, is asking Samson to reveal to her the thing that no one else in all the world knows. None of the Philistines know where his strength lies. They've, they realize there's some mystery to it. There's, there's divine uh, work here. Um, but what's the secret how do you break it? And you see, so Delilah is asking Samson to let her in, to share the secret that no one else knows, to allow her into the inner sanctum of his heart. And it's an intoxicating temptation because he loves her. He loves her. And so Samson begins playing this game with her. He tells her, and, and of course, it's not the truth. But he's getting a little closer to the truth. So by, by the third time, um, he's talking about his hair. If you just bind up my hair in, in the web and, 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 and stick the pin through it, uh, that'll do it. And of course, each time it's not true. When she shouts, the Philistines are upon you, he breaks the flax or, or busts through the ropes or pulls the web itself right from the floor. Um, but now she, in verse 15, she plays her ace card. And she asks the question, how can you say, I love you when your heart is not with me? That's the thing she's not asked before. She's charged him with mocking her, but now, how can you say, I love you when your heart is not with me? You've mocked me these three times. You've not told me where your great strength lies. And she pressed him hard day after day, and his soul was vexed to death. And he told her all his heart. It is a, it's a 
tragic, tragic story as Samson is being betrayed by this, this woman to whom he's given his heart. And now he finally lets her in. He finally reveals uh, the truth because he knows that, it, that he, he either has to tell her the truth or, he, or he's going to lose her. And though he tries to resist, she presses him hard and he's tortured in his heart. And finally he gives in. And that, that easily. He just says, well, a razor has never come upon my head. If someone would shave off my head, um, then my strength will leave me and I will become weak and be like any other man. It's a, it's a deeply tragic moment in Samson's life. He knows the secret of his strength, doesn't he? He knows that he's been devoted to God. He, say, he tells her, I've been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. He knows that he's been called by God to be set apart to God in a special way. In the Old Testament, you have these categories of common and, and holy. And, and God teaches Israel this category. Common things are not necessarily bad things, but they're, they're not fit for the worship of God, for the presence of God. They are unclean in that sense. And so if you remember with the tabernacle, everything that was used in the tabernacle had to be washed and sanctified and made holy, set apart to God. Uh, the people themselves had to be un, uh, clean. If they were unclean, they couldn't come. Well, Samson was holy, set apart, clean for the worship and the service of God. And what he's doing here now is he's giving that away. He's saying, I, I'm rejecting my Nazarite office. I'm rejecting my holy calling. And I'm choosing to become just like every other man. Common, unfit, unclean. There's an intriguing insight from Webb again uh, that I think is worth mentioning. He points out that Samson has seemed to resist his holy calling from the beginning. You don't see Samson fighting to live a holy life, a life devoted to God, right? Like some of the prophets, right? Elijah, uh, for instance, who uh, has his struggles, but he, he is committed to the Lord God, and he battles for the Lord God. You don't, you don't see that in Samson. Samson's passion seems to be Philistine women. They are the thing that's right in his eyes. Webb writes, the fact that Samson is that Samson has always been in rebellion against his separation to God. He's never wanted to fight the Philistines as he was destined. He's wanted to mix with them, to marry, intermarry with them, to party with them. But his separateness has always caught up with him and turned his relationships with the Philistines sour. Samson's Nazarite ship has dogged him at every turn and become an unbearable burden. This is what he told Delilah when he opened his heart to her. I don't want to be special anymore. Bring the nightmare to an end. Shave my head and make me normal. And that's exactly what happens, isn't it? Uh, Delilah lulls him to sleep on her lap, a, a picture of, of trust and intimacy and then she calls a man to come and shave the hair of his head. And the power is gone. The Lord leaves. Samson doesn't even realize it, does he? When he wakes up, he doesn't know that the Lord has left him. That's a tragic statement. The Lord, uh, Samson doesn't realize that, that he's alone. And so he says, I'll go out as, as at other times. And he goes out and he has no power, no strength. And the Philistine seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles, and he ground at the mill in the prison. And so here you have this, this desperately sad story of the judge of Israel, the one who was to lead God's people, 
reduced to a beast of burden. He's in a, he's in a prison uh, bound to a long beam that would be attached to a, a, a millstone, and he would walk in circles all day long, grinding grain for his enemy. That was Samson's plot. His eyes are gone, and he's grinding grain for the Philistines. Well, what's the purpose of this story? Well, remember, this is prophecy. It's a story told for a, a, a particular reason, uh, told in a particular way to a particular audience. Uh, and there are several purposes in this story. One, it's, it's meant to um, show the necessity of a king. What we come to in Samson is the end of the line of the judges. Uh, he's the last one, and uh, he's grinding grain in a Philistine prison because he couldn't refuse Philistine women. Uh, Israel's not going to be able to live out their destiny this way. The, the, the judges are not able to, to lead them uh, into their calling. It's going to take something, someone more, uh, more powerful, someone more committed. And so this is an argument for the kings of Israel, particularly for King David. This would be, uh, this would be a story told um, in, in David's day. This is, this is why we need someone like David, a man whose heart is committed to the Lord if Israel's ever, ever going to fulfill its calling. But this is a prophecy also about the story of Israel itself. It mirrors Israel's story. Because you see, Israel also felt that its holy calling was a burden. And they resist it from the get-go. They want to be like the other nations. They love foreign gods, just like Samson loved foreign women. And they, and they continually threw off this, this burden. They continually chose to be like the other nations as they bowed down before their idols. And their story ends amazingly uh, like Samson's story. The last king of Judah, King Zedekiah, uh, well, his story reads almost identical. He was also captured. And his eyes were also gouged out. And he was also bound and brought to the capital city of the enemy into Babylon. Judah's story is going to end very similarly then to Samson's story. Samson's tragedy is the story of Israel herself. The, 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 the desperately sad story of Israel's failure to live out her calling. But this is not primarily a story about Samson's failure or Israel's failure. This is primarily a story about the sovereign hand of God and His unrelenting grace. And we see that thread again in a beautiful way in verse 22. Could, you could easily miss it. But it's a, it's a beautiful verse, maybe the most important verse in the whole story. Verse 22, but the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Right, in, in all the darkness and tragedy of Samson's life, now at the end, here comes this ray of light. And it, 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 it's a beautiful verse, you see, because it tells us that even though Samson has rejected his holy calling, God has not given up on his holy purposes. Samson has forsaken his office and his privilege, but God does not forsake his own. I love that. His calling and election are sure. Yes, Samson has sinned greatly, foolishly. He knew what Delilah was going to do. He knew she was going to cut off his hair. He knew that she was going to um, violate his Nazareth vow. And he chose it. 
Just the, the, the sinfulness, the, the stupidity, the wickedness of it. It's, it's heartbreaking. And so Samson has sinned greatly against God. And God is just and right to punish him. But the hair of his head began to grow again. See, it's not the end of the story. He deserves, he deserves everything he's receiving there in the Philistine prison. But the hair of his head began to grow again. The work that God has begun, he's going to carry out to its completion. God is not finished with Samson. God is not finished with Israel. To every human appearance, it would seem that Samson, as he's grinding grain in a Philistine prison with his eyes gouged out, that God has rejected Samson. Certainly the Philistines would have assumed so. It's very possible Samson assumes so. Think of the regret that he would, be, that he would carry on his shoulders as he's walking that circle day after day. He had been promised so much. He had been given so much. The Holy Spirit of God enabled him to do things that no man had done before. He had been called to begin the rescue of Israel from their enemies, and now he's a burden of beast in their prison. The Spirit of God had left him, but God had not rejected him. He was not forsaken the hair of his head began to grow again. God was at work. In fact, God was going to use Samson in a greater way than he'd ever used him before. Samson's greatest days, in a sense, are ahead of him. His greatest act of deliverance is going to be accomplished at the end of the chapter. See, it's just a tremendously comforting thought about the character of our God, friends. What a comfort to Israel to know that, that in spite of their sin, that God would not abandon them. He would punish them and discipline, but, but the hair of the head begins to grow again. God, God's grace is persistent. It's unrelenting. It's a wonderful reminder to the church in our day. This is, a, this is just a delightful story in spite of its tragedy. You see, because um, it just, just shows us how God is at work in, the, in, in human history carrying out His saving purposes. None of this happens by accident. Israel is at peace in her bondage and sin, and yet God provides a Savior for them. A man who is just like them, just like them, and yet a man who is uniquely equipped with the Spirit of God to begin their rescue. And in that shadow, we have a sign pointing to God's great salvation for us in Jesus Christ, a man who is like us in every way yet without sin. Isn't it beautiful that Jesus had no sin, ever? Not a sinful thought, not a sinful attitude, not a sinful word, not a sinful commission or omission. And God sent this greater Samson to us so that he might save us and rescue us. Let that be a great comfort to you. One of the things that I realize as I get older is the reality of regret. Um, the things that I wish were different in my life. Things I wish I had done that I didn't do, I haven't done. And, and things that I have done that I, I dearly wish I, have, I hadn't. Just the reality of regret. Maybe, maybe you know about that in your life. Maybe you're in the middle of a great season of, of regret right now where you feel like you've just made a mess of things. You've fallen into grievous sin. You're maybe suffering the hard consequences of your failure. Maybe you're just suffering the effects of long-term uh, 
long-term, less public, less well-known sins, right? The, the, the sin of bitterness has just been part of your life or a critical spirit or lack of gratitude or laziness or spiritual apathy or covetousness, jealousy, whatever it is. And, and, and over time, the burden of those, those long-standing sins are now just starting to press and weigh you down. And there's, there's sadness and there's regret. And you might even in those times believe that God is, has abandoned you. But it's not true. It's not true. The truth is that God, if He has called you to be His child, if you've confessed the Lord Jesus Christ, that, that God has begun a work in you and He will carry out that work until it's completed. God is doing a slow work of grace in your life. The hair is beginning to grow back. And it's most, you know, by the grace of God, in our times of regret and sadness and the sense of despair that we feel because of our sin, that's when God is tendering, tenderizing our heart, making it soft and pliable so that we'll be teachable. So that we'll, we'll ask God, please, show me the way. I don't want to be like this. I don't want to live like this. One of the things, I'm 59 years old. I don't want to be a grumpy, angry, frustrated old man. And I have every potential to be that. I don't want to be that guy. I want to be the male version of Joanne Vandenberg. <laughs> don't you? Thankful, loving, gracious, kind, Trusting? Well, how does that happen? That happens as we look to the Lord and say, Lord, do that work in my life. Do that work in my heart. Let the love of God pour into my heart so that it just flows out of me and I, and I naturally love people and I love you and I love your cause and I'm being transformed. It's a slow work. It doesn't happen overnight just like the way the hair grows. It's a slow work, but if it's God's work, it's a precious work, and it will yield great fruit. Friend, you need to hear tonight that Samson's story is a reminder to us all that God does not forsake his own, even in spite of our tragic foolishness and wickedness. The work that he be he's begun, he will carry out. And his greatest salvation is yet to come, right? In Jesus Christ, when he returns, we have a future and a hope because of the unrelenting goodness and grace of our God. Let that, let that be wind in your sails. Let that be strength for your journey. That God's grace is sufficient for your stupidity. God's grace is sufficient for your failure, for your weakness, for your sin. His grace is sufficient. His work is being carried out, and it will be brought to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. Let's believe it. Amen. Oh, Father in heaven, we see ourselves in Samson's story. We've made equally foolish, sinful decisions time and time again. We have, Lord, turned away from our calling to be a holy people, our calling to live our life for the glory of Christ, and we've turned and served ourselves, and we've served our idols, and it's brought nothing but bondage and blindness and yet, Father, I thank you that when you bring us into low places where we experience the regrets and the burden of our sin, Father, I thank you that you are there and that Jesus Christ, our Savior, 
speaks a kind word. Come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Father, I just pray for the hearts of those who are here tonight, that they, Lord, would, would know that rest, that we together could come to Jesus and, and trust the grace that flows from the cross. And it's, it's a grace sufficient to change us, to transform us, to make us wise, to make us fruitful, to make us loving and gracious and kind. Oh, Father, would you do that work and we'll give you the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing together of the wonderful grace of God. Let's stand to sing.
Let me read from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Paul writes, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Receive the blessing. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, and he will surely do it. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen.